Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now here's today's message. Hello. <laughs> so my name is Jess. Um, Rob said, my husband and I have been members of the plant for about six years now, um, and I am a kindergarten teacher. So I am very used to speaking in front of groups of people. They're just normally five, and so it's a little bit scarier to be up here, but you also have a much better attention span than a kindergartner, so I think it's going to be okay. Um, That's actually probably the reason why I'm here. I made the mistake a couple of years ago of inviting Rob to an event at my school, and he saw me with my kids and thought, wow, you're such a great speaker. You have to come and speak at church. And I was like, no, this is very, very different. So I know that God has just put something on my heart for you. And I have prayed so much for you that will be here this morning, that this will just be so refreshing for you today. Um, So here we are the last week of July, about to head into August, on one of the most popular weeks of the year for vacation. There have been a couple of studies done researching rental properties and things, and people have found that there's something special about the end of July. Kids' sports are just ending, and fall is gearing up. School is still a little ways away. Um, The weather is perfect to just get out and go somewhere, and people really are seeking that feeling of peace in the summer. They want to escape from the busyness of the year, particularly in our culture where we live in the the Northeast, that we just prioritize so much productivity and so much getting done that we push ourselves to a point where we think, that's it, I just want to go and no one can talk to me and I'll finally feel at peace. I can definitely identify with that feeling. You know, you think all year long that if I just plan this perfect vacation, if I pick the perfect place to stay, if I find the best excursions where I can take really cool pictures and bring them home and show people all the wonderful things that I did, if I can Amazon Prime all the best travel accessories so that I'll get really good sleep on the plane, and it's just going to be the week that fixes everything for me. My family loves to go to Cape May in the summer. Um, And so we were there just a few weeks ago, and my family has changed quite a bit in the past few years. I have an older sister and a younger brother, and all of us are married, and they've started to have kids, and so vacation looks really different than it did a few years ago. If you have ever traveled with young children, I'm sure you know that it's super, super fun to pack up everything you own inside of a wagon and make sure that you have your entire pantry full of snacks and that everybody has what they need so they're happy and you have to leave at the perfect time when this one wakes up from their nap but this one isn't tired yet and it's just going to be the best. Um, So we had this experience just a few weeks ago. My family um, decided that, you know, We love to just sit on the beach, and that's really relaxing and restful. So let's make sure that we can plan and prepare so that we can do that for a few hours on this trip that we have. And um, everybody gets up. They pack up all their things. They're trying to make sure that the baby's waking up at the right time, and they're all off going to the beach, and they have to figure out, should we go to this beach that we pay for, and this one's a block closer, and this one, and this one. 
So they finally get there. They're set up with like 19 chairs and four umbrellas, and they have all of these special things. And my husband and I are about to leave to meet them. And as we're like getting ourselves ready to walk out the door, my sister-in-law is coming back in. And she's pushing a stroller in front of her and pulling a wagon behind her and like hauling this stuff up. And we were like, what happened? I thought you've only been there for like 10 minutes. And she was like, it's too hot. These babies are not having it. They're not happy. And then right behind her comes my sister. And my sister has her son who's like nine months old and his face is all red. And she's like, he threw up because he was too hot. And like everyone is miserable. So we didn't even go. It just turned out to be this not so perfect relaxing time on the beach. And I'm sure that if you think back on some of your vacations, you can find a few of those examples. So it just, I've been wondering so much this summer about what rest is really supposed to look like. Summer is a time where a lot of us have space to just slow down and reevaluate and prepare for a new season. And in that, what I've been doing hasn't seemed to be working super well. And so it's gotten me wondering, what does God really say about rest? And when he looks at his people and the way that we're living, what is he feeling? Is he so frustrated with us that we're just not getting it? Or is he just begging us to like, please calm down and chill out? Or is God just over it? Is he just finally feeling like, you know what, these people, I've had them for generations and they're never going to get it and I just... What a, I'll just leave him to it. And I really do believe that, that our God is a God who created rest in a special way that aligns with who we are as people, with the hearts and the minds that he has given us. And I believe that there has to be something better than what we were doing at the beach that day. So let's just stop and let's pray this morning and ask God to be with us. Lord, we just love you so much. We thank you for how your spirit is already here this morning, how you are already preparing us for what what you want to speak to us today. God, I just pray that you would make my words clear, that you would remove confusion, and that you would just let yourself be heard this morning. The places where we need to change in the places where we need to turn toward you and the places where we need to just be joyful and accept the good, good gifts that you have for us. Would you make this space the place for that this morning? In your name we pray, amen. So because I am a teacher, I'm one of those lucky members of society who gets to do whatever I want for like three months out of the year. And because of that, obviously, I am the most healthy and well-rested person in the whole world, right? But if you spend more than 15 minutes with me in the summer, you would see that that is not quite true. I am a person who really likes structure and order, and that's probably why I am a teacher. Um, But the problem is that all year long, I'm longing for summer and the freedom that it gives me. And then as soon as it comes, I write myself giant to-do lists of what I'm going to do, and I'm thinking about, okay, how can I 
wake up and work out and go to the store and come back and clean this thing so that my day is so productive and restful and I'm just going to feel so good at the end of it. And I work myself up into this spinning wheel of like, I'm either going to do everything in the world or I'm going to do nothing because I just don't know what to do with myself. And when I get back to the school year, or you know, when I open up my computer to answer a quick email, immediately I'm feeling that stress rise up again the same exact way that it was a couple of months ago. It's kind of like that trip, right? You plan all year for it, and as soon as you come back and you jump back into your routine, you're just as stressed as you were when you left. And when I see that pattern happen over and over again in my life every summer, I'm asking God, what am I going to do so that when the first day of school comes, I'm not starting from that same place that I was a few months ago? And when we look at the Bible and the word that God has given us, I know that God will reveal what he intends for his people and for you this morning. So today we're going to take a look at kind of three principles of rest that will help us find, you know, if it can't be just the busyness and the craziness of our culture and our lives, and it can't be just checking out and waiting for something good to happen. Where is that good thing in the middle? And so when we look at God's word, he tells us right away when he created the world that rest is a command. When God made the world, um, it tells us in Genesis 2, on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. So I work in a Christian school and I get to teach my children about God's word. And when we learn about the narrative of creation and those seven days and what happened on each day and then how God got to the end and he decided to rest, my kids are sometimes kind of confused because we talk about how God is God. He's great and powerful and he never gets tired and he always knows the right thing to do. And they hear that God rested after creating the world and they're like, why did he have to take a nap if he's not even tired? Because, like, he's God, and you tell me that he's so amazing. And I just, I love kindergartners because they ask all the perfect questions. They have no filter of what's the right thing to say. And so, really, I was thinking, like, why would God rest if he didn't really have to? And it's not part of his character. But we see that God is our model of how to live. And when he chose to rest after the work of creation, he wasn't doing it because he was tired. He was doing it because he knows that the people he created need to rest. We're humans. We have physical and emotional and spiritual needs. And rest is part of that pattern of living that's going to help us to honor God. And so when God continued his story and he chose his holy people, and he led them out of slavery, and he brought them into the wilderness, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments, I teach my children, are not a list of rules because God loves to give people rules. They weren't made so that he could catch them in doing something bad and be, hoo-hoo, you didn't do it right. But God gave the people these laws as a way to show them the right way to live, 
a way that would be loving and would be life-giving and would be enriching. When you do these things that I'm telling you to do, I promise you'll be better. Kind of like me as their teacher, I have to give them rules, not because I'm mad at them and I like making up rules, but because I want them to be safe and I want them to treat each other well. So when God made these 10 commandments in Exodus 20, he told his people, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. And I know Sabbath can kind of be a loaded word for some of us, right? You hear that and you think of a picture in your mind of that list of rules, what Sabbath has to look like. When I was growing up, I had parents who grew up with the worldview that God is an angry God and that everything we do is to placate him so that he's not mad at you and so that one day you can go to heaven. So when I was a little girl, I thought Sabbath meant, okay, Sunday morning we get in the car, try not to laugh or smile too much because it's a very serious day and we'll go to church and then after church we can go home, but you have to make sure when you get home that you don't read any books and you don't watch any TV because, you know, it's Sabbath. You're supposed to rest. You're just supposed to sit there and like maybe you can look at your Bible, but like be very serious. And that's not very restful. And that's also not the picture of God that I was being given. But in my mind, when I was thinking about what God wanted me to do, I thought, that's what Sabbath means. And so you might have grown up with a view of Sabbath or you might have an idea in your mind of what ideal rest looks like. And maybe you feel guilty for not engaging in it that way. But when we think about a life that honors God, when we think about the model that God gave us in creation and, and those 10 commandments that he gave us as a way to live, it's really easy to look at some people and say, wow, that person is just so truthful. They always know the right words to say that are encouraging and honoring to God, and I really admire that in them. Or we'll see a person and we'll say, wow, that person, they honor their spouse above everyone else. I've never heard them say a negative word. I just look at their relationship and I know they support each other so well, and I admire that about them. But when is the last time you've looked at someone and thought like, wow, they're really good at resting. Like, I'm so glad that they said no to that meeting because they knew that they didn't have it in them. Like, that makes my life so much better that they just had to rest. Like, that's not what we, um, I just lost the word. That's not what we value in our society, right? Rest is not something that we look at and say, wow, how honoring to God that you would choose to rest. And so when I am trying to work really hard, in the summertime, when I create a to-do list for myself because I want to still be productive and I want to still be honoring to God, and that to-do list ends up with normal things, like, or starts out with normal things, like I'm gonna make sure that I vacuum and I'm gonna make sure I pick up those groceries and I'm gonna fold that laundry, it really quickly devolves into crazy things, like I'm gonna make sure that I polish the doorknobs in the basement and I probably should paint the ceiling because it's looking a little dingy. Like, there are things that I'm just creating for myself because I don't even know how how to rest. And so when you look at what Sabbath means in scripture, it's really different from the way that I grew up thinking about it. 
There's no part of scripture that says it has to be this 24-hour period that starts at this time and ends at this time. There's no part that says you're allowed to do this and you're not allowed to do this. But when you look at what Jesus actually said about Sabbath in Mark chapter 2, um, Jesus and his disciples have just been walking through a field. And as they were walking through the field, they were picking things to eat. And people were watching them and saying like, oh, this Jesus guy, like he's doing something that you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath because picking grain is working because they're farmers and like that's really bad. And Jesus heard them talking about him and he stopped them and he said, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Jesus did this a lot. He said things that were so countercultural to shake up people's view of God. And he wanted them to know that Sabbath is not something that we can accomplish and check off our list to say that we've done a good job. It's something that God made that will fill us. It's a command that he gives us that we have to obey if we're going to be people who are full of life. And so when I think about what does that mean then? If Sabbath is not what I've thought, and if Sabbath is not what I've been trying to do, then what are we supposed to do to rest well? And when we take a closer look at the life of Jesus and how he chose to obey God's command to rest, we see more of what that might look like. So again, I teach my students that Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. He lived a perfect life He never sinned. And you'll always get kindergartners who are like, yes, I don't think I have ever sinned before. And like, we know, everyone does. It's just part of our nature as humans. And because Jesus was fully God, the life that he lived was perfect. He did everything that God told him to do, and he didn't do anything that God didn't tell him to do. And Jesus has um, kind of a pattern of rest in his life. Earlier this summer, we heard Pastor Omar preach from Matthew chapter 11. Um, And part of Matthew chapter 11 is a picture that I've held really dear to my heart as I've been trying to work through this, this idea of rest. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So Jesus here is inviting people to take his burden and to shed their own worries and to just find rest. And I confess that when I first heard this picture, I really thought that it meant Jesus was offering to take everything away from me. That he was saying, if you follow me, you'll have no responsibilities, you'll have no worries, you just get to do whatever you want and I'll take care of everything. And I thought, wow, that sounds great. I'd love to just be able to sleep in as late as I want and not worry about anything and just have a super peaceful life. It doesn't really sound that hard to follow God's command if it's like that. But if you take a closer look of that picture of taking on a yoke, you see, this is not something that we've probably ever done, but a yoke is almost always two animals together that are sharing a burden. 
And so that means that if one of them tries to pull ahead and work really hard and get a bunch of things done, the other one is gonna get dragged along and that's not very comfy. And if one of them decides that it's just way too tired and it just wants to lie down and take a nap, the other one's gonna get pulled down. And so they have to work together. They have to be evenly matched. They have to accept this burden and decide that they're going to share it with one another. Taking on that yoke and accepting the rest that God is offering implies that we have a responsibility. It's not just taking off our worries, but it's taking on the yoke that God offers to us. And because of that, it requires a commitment. It requires obedience to say yes to God. And so we wonder how Jesus modeled this rest in his life. Again and again in scripture, we see that Jesus takes time to be away from others and to be alone. This happens at the beginning of his ministry in Matthew chapter four when Jesus goes off into the wilderness so that he can confront temptation and prepare to start his ministry on the earth. And it happens again at the end of his life when Jesus goes into the garden of Gethsemane and he's wrestling and he's arguing with God and he's asking him to take away this burden that he has. And that, if you were there, probably didn't appear very restful. Jesus was sweating and crying and pleading. But that was Jesus saying, it's more important for me right now to sit and be with God and bring all of this before him. That pattern of rest that he continually chose to be away from others and to be with God and to work through what he was experiencing with the Lord was a pattern of rest. Throughout his life, Jesus was on mission for God's kingdom. And everything that he did was something God had called him to do. It's really interesting to me that there were also times when things didn't work out the way that Jesus wanted them to. One of my most favorite pictures of Jesus' life comes from Matthew 14, where Jesus had um, just heard that his cousin, John, had been murdered. And when he heard this news, the Bible tells us that he was really upset about it, that he was heartbroken. He loved his cousin. He was a person. And Jesus had been with a group of people healing them and teaching them. And when he heard this news, his heart said, I just need to be alone. I need to go away and not have all you people around me so that I can go and process this loss and that I can bring it before my father and I can figure out what in the world is going on here. And so he got on a boat and he was going away and as he was going, these people noticed that he was leaving and they thought, this is our chance. There's always tons of people around Jesus and we never get to be with him. And so right now there's no one there. We should go and follow him. And that way when he gets to the other shore, he can heal us and teach us. This is perfect. So they went and they followed him and they crowded around him. And I'm just imagining Jesus when he, all he wanted was to be alone. And I can really identify with that feeling because I have tons of very small people who follow me everywhere all the time. And there are some times where I just want to take a sip of my coffee and take a deep breath for like 30 seconds and I turn around and there's four of them and they're like, look at this picture I drew you. Let me tell you about my cat, all of these things. And my heart in that moment wants to just say, go back to your seat, sit down. I'll come to you in a minute. And when Jesus saw these people, that was not his response. The Bible tells us that he saw them and he had compassion on them. 
And he stayed with them to teach them and to heal them. And this seems so strange because Jesus was going to do what God had made his heart to do. He was going to rest and to be alone. He was going to process these emotions and it was interrupted. And still, because of the commitment that Jesus had to rest, he was able to take on that yoke and to carry that burden. And he did it well. He drew on God's compassion when he was fully out of energy himself. And he did what God had created him to do. So for myself, I've been working really hard this summer to think, okay, what patterns in my life are restful, truly? What patterns are empowering me to do the work that God has called me to do that are not just going to disappear when the school year starts and things start to get busy again? And for me, that time, honestly, is walking my dog. I have a 100-pound dog who is big, and he's like a huge dum-dum, and he's so cute. And if I don't walk him, he's crazy. Like, he will just, like, sprint up and down the stairs, up and down the stairs, and cry. And, like, he needs to be exercised, which is great for me because... As I spend time outdoors, as I'm feeling the fresh air and as I'm smelling things and I'm hearing things and I listen to music or I just walk in silence, it is so refreshing to my soul. There are some times where I would really rather sleep in for another half an hour than take the dog for a walk. But let me tell you, on those days that I get up and walk him, I feel way more rested than the days that I sleep for another 30 minutes. And This time looks different as the year goes on. Sometimes it's really early in the morning. Sometimes it's when I get back from school. Sometimes it changes because of the weather if it's freezing or because of the sun if it goes down at like 4 p.m., which is the worst. But no matter what, I found that that continual pattern of rest is a time where God is calling me to just listen to him and to just be with him. And it doesn't have to look like that 24-hour Sabbath that I imagined but it's, it's filling me, it's refreshing my soul. And so we see other examples in scripture. Jesus was not the only one who really prioritized rest and showed us one way to do it. But David was also a great leader. He brought God's people through victory after victory in battles, and he suffered a lot of personal hardships as well. He had really messy relationships. He had a heart that made a lot of bad choices that had to be reconciled. But David knew that rest was a rhythm, something that he had to revisit again and again in his life in order to do what God had called him to do. The Bible chronicles the life of David really well from the time that he was a child all the way to the time that he was an old man. And we see in David's life again and again that he had a journal. He had a diary. It was the book of Psalms. And many of those Psalms originally were set to music. They were songs because David was a musician. And when you read the Psalms, there's a lot of emotion in them. There are psalms that are joyous and happy and worshipful, and there are psalms that are angry or or sad. I remember reading a psalm um, when I was younger. David has a picture of, I've cried so much, God, that I filled my bed with tears, and now I'm sleeping in a puddle of tears. 
And just that picture in my mind, like I thought David was this amazing, mighty warrior and that he was God's favorite person. And here he is crying so much that now he's sleeping in a puddle of his own tears. Like how does that make sense? Because David knew that all of those emotions that he was feeling had to be brought before the Lord in order to be refreshed and renewed. David didn't write the book of Psalms in like six months while he had a sabbatical from work. He revisited them over and over and over again. When he expresses those feelings to God, he finds forgiveness and he gains new insight and he draws closer to God. And God rewards him with so many beautiful pictures of what he, who God is. And one of those Psalms that we often visit hundreds and hundreds of years later is Psalm 23, where David makes a picture of God as our shepherd who leads us through. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And when I first saw this picture in scripture, again, kind of like Matthew 11, I thought it meant that a good Christian life was, was this, that if you really love and follow God, you have no problems at all, that everything will be easy and beautiful. And if you have problems, then that's definitely not God, and there's probably something that you're doing wrong. I imagined that all of the hard work that I have to do during the school year is worth it because in summer I can get to this and finally I'll just be able to take a deep breath and make it through. And I think about that picture that David is creating of a shepherd who leads his sheep. And if a shepherd really is a good shepherd, if they brought their sheep to this place and just left them there, it's pretty nice at first, but sheep eat a lot. And eventually, that grass is going to be gone. And they would probably go and nibble all the branches off that bush. And eventually, that land is just going to be barren and dirt. And if the shepherd looks at it and says, well, that was the nice place. I put you there because it was the very best spot and I gave it to you. And like, that's where you should be. Then that's not a very good shepherd. Because life is a journey. And that shepherd has to lead the sheep to different places so that they can have everything that they need. If God brought us to one place and left us there forever, we would not be living the lives that he has created for us. I think about myself during the school year and how if I decided that summer was exactly what I wanted to do, and I think that I'm just gonna do that all year long, and I think all year long, I'm gonna sleep as late as I want, and I'm just gonna do whatever I want, I would be missing out on the lives of the hundreds of students that I love and care about. I think about David, and if David had said at the beginning of his life when he was a child, you know what, I killed Goliath and that was my big thing, so now the rest of my life I get to just hang out. He would have missed all the opportunities that God had for him in his life. He had to follow that rhythm of rest, knowing that it's something you revisit again and again and again to renew your strength so that then you can go to the next place and use that strength and then you can revisit again to be renewed. 
It's a rhythm, it's a pattern, and it's gonna look different for every person. At the beginning of the summer, my coworkers and I were in a book club together, and we were kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, talking about this idea of rest and what summer might look like for us. Because we've all felt that time that, you know, you wait so long for summer to come and you expect that it's going to solve all of your problems and you're finally going to figure out life. And then the year starts again and you're right back where you started. And we didn't want that for ourselves. We didn't want our lives to be marked by this explosion of items on our to-do list and responsibilities that we have and things we have to push through. And then back on this side, just escapism and disassociation and sitting on the couch for nine hours and watching Netflix so that I'm refreshed and ready to go and do my work again. Neither of those things are what God has made us to do. I wonder if Jesus had lived the way that our culture tells us to live, because he was only on the earth for a set period of time. He knew that he only had a fixed number of years. And if Jesus had said, well, I'm here to do God's work and there are so many people who need me to heal them and to teach them and to meet them and to encourage them. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to sit here on this chair and all the people can come to me and I'm going to march them through in an assembly line and I'm going to heal them over and over and over. And I'm going to teach these group of people and then hurry. They have to rush out because this new group of people is coming in and just it wouldn't have been as, as beautiful as the life that Jesus created while he was on the earth. Man was not made to conquer task after task after task until they burn into the ground. And I wonder, in David's life, if he had just thought that rest was something that he earned and he got there and he could stay there forever, how much he would have missed if he didn't see it as that picture of the sheep returning again and again to that restful place where they needed to be for a time. In Matthew 11, one part of that that really stands out to me is when Jesus says, let me teach you and you will find rest for your souls. He says, let me teach you, which implies that this is something that we don't know how to do inherently. We don't grow up realizing, wow, this is the perfect way for me to feel refreshed in my soul. We have bodies that will eventually shut down and turn off and go to sleep, but I'm sure you have had a night of sleep where you wake up and you feel awful in the morning. We have a soul that Jesus wants to teach so that we can be refreshed and rested. And that's gonna go really far beyond an hour of scrolling on our phone or an afternoon shopping, or a week-long vacation, no matter how much you've planned and prepared and hope that it's gonna fill in that place for you. And it's gonna look different. Some of us are parents. Some of us have jobs that require us to work hours and hours and hours. Some of us have responsibilities that we think, but you don't understand, I have to do this because I have to pay my rent, and so there's no way that I can rest. I have to make sure that I'm doing what I have to do. But what God is offering to do is to change our minds about what rest really means. He's offering to find that place in the middle that's not disassociation or escapism, and it's not trying to muster up the strength that we need. 
But God is saying, let me teach you because I want to prepare you for the work that I've made you to do. But I also want you to know that I live the life you lived and there's a good way to do it. So this morning in our church, we talk a lot about a kairos moment, a moment that changes your mind and your heart so that from that point on, the way that you think is different. And I really think that that moment with my coworkers in my book club was a Kairos moment when I thought, wow, what I've been doing hasn't been working and it has to be different. I wonder for you this morning if you're realizing that rest is essential and that if you're thinking that you can just muster up the strength that you need to do what you need to do, you're missing out on the command that God gave you to rest because he knew that that was what you needed to live a life that honors him. Or maybe this morning, you're thinking that rest is just too hard to do. There's no place for it in your life. You don't have that 24-hour period. You don't have the perfect set of circumstances. But Jesus is saying, be obedient to God. Let me teach you. Let me change your mind. Let me show you how I chose to intentionally be with God. And so even when things didn't work out the way that I planned for them to, God gave me what I needed. He gives you what you need. Or maybe this morning, you're thinking that rest just is missing from your life and that you don't have that rhythm and you feel like you're just going and going and going until you can't anymore. And maybe you're realizing that you had that picture in your mind of, oh, if only I can get to that perfect place, or if only God would just take away this burden that I have on me, then it will all be okay. This morning, God is offering to show you how rest fits into the rhythm of your life so that it changes what comes before and what comes after. Even if it starts out as like a 30-minute walk outside. This morning, I think about what I tell my students every day, that I am their teacher because God made them and knows them and loves them. And I know when I'm with my students, I've gotten to see them grow over many years of being a teacher, and I see that they have gifts that are incredible. And the generation that they're growing up in is so different from mine. And they're going to do things in the world that no other person is capable of doing because that's who God has made them to be. And I encourage that so well in my students, and I want that for you too, that God made you and knows you and loves you. And when you see that rest is a command, one that you need to be obedient to, when you fit it into the rhythm of your life, that is what's going to empower you to do the work that God has made you to do. That's what's going to give you that compassion and that commitment where you feel like it's missing. And so this morning, I just want to pray for you that God would take that word that's in your heart, would take that moment, that stirring, and start to bring you into what is next. We have another month of summer, and then things are going to start again. And we can't control that, but we can control what choices we make and how we ask God to move and how we accept his work so that life will be different a month from now than it is for you today. So let's pray together. God, I thank you so much that you showed us from the very beginning the importance of rest. 
God, you modeled it for us in your life and in Jesus' life and in David's life. And, and you offer a rest for us that is so much greater than what the world offers. God, you want to refresh our soul. You want to change our mind and our pattern of thinking. God, you want us to be prepared for all of our responsibilities and all of the things that you have for us. So Lord, this morning, where we're feeling that excitement to seek you again, would you turn that excitement into action? And God, where we're feeling that conviction that this is something that we have ignored or that we have tried so, so hard to create for ourselves and it's not working God, would you just give us the ability to repent and to lay that at your feet and to change our minds and to change our hearts so that our souls can be refreshed by you. God, we love you so much. We thank you for this church family where we can encourage and support one another and just ask you to continue to move this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you, check out our website at theplantchurch.org for more sermons and other resources.